Yo, all the way from our studio in sunny Charlotte, North Carolina, this is the MSP 101 podcast, and we are live to hard drive with our latest episode. Let's go. And we're live. Hey, Jesse, how's it going? Hey, man, I'm good. How are you, Nick? Awesome. Appreciate you uh, being back on today as the as the uh, a guest or perhaps you could say co-host at this point, maybe it, look, it looks like it's going to be. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There we go. <laughs> That's the awesome. Plan yeah. 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 I always enjoy having you. Um, I, I had some questions, you know, we talked about last time we spoke that the MSP you're working for was, was leveraging AWS and you kind of gave us an, mm-hmm. an overview. I had some more questions on, on, how that that came about and 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 how you guys started implementing that maybe just tell me kind of how that started and what your journey's been like over the past year you know since implementing that type of solution yeah absolutely um well i think i touched on it last time we talked the uh the the beginning was just sort of me uh looking for that next that next rung on the ladder so to speak or you know how to differentiate myself from from my peers and um, make myself more uh, employable, maybe to, to larger companies. Um, and then there was a change of ownership at the company that I worked for. And unbeknownst to me at the time, the the new owner that was his uh, that was his plan. You know, he, it was he had a very uh, detailed cloud play, um, and it was just sort of uh, I, I don't know the word uh, ordained. Maybe um, you know I had sort of chosen AWS as my as as my you know, what I was going to focus on. And he had done the same. Um, and there's a, a very robust partner network, a uh, very rigorous set of standards we have to adhere to. So yeah, he, he came in the door with AWS on the mind and, and I was already inside the building with AWS on my mind. And, and, you know, as we got to talking and got to know each other, uh, we realized this and, and the rest was sort of history. That's great. That's that's interesting that it kind of aligned that way with all the other options out there, um, you know, and all the I guess cloud platforms or solutions. It's interesting, you guys both landed on on AWS as the as the chosen source. How is that yeah. different than you know Azure or Google Cloud? How did you land on AWS? For me personally, it was I had done the the Microsoft route before. You know, I had an M- MCSA and an MCSE. Um, and it just didn't really set me on fire. Um, the more I researched AWS and, the, and the, their certification route uh, and the way they took care of the people who uh, chose to become certified uh, was, was very appealing to me. And what really, I mean, it, just from a technical standpoint, you know, AWS has been running Windows server workloads in the cloud uh, before anybody, before Microsoft. So they are kind of, you know, the, the granddaddy almost. Um, I did some research, uh, Gartner, you know, their magic quadrant, uh, you know, mm-hmm. AWS was, was far ahead of, of Azure and GCP. Actually, um, at the, when I started doing the research, and this has probably changed, AWS had a larger cloud presence than Amazon, I mean, excuse me, than Microsoft and Google combined. So they were way out ahead and and microsoft at the time was gaining ground um and i'm sure that's continued uh there's some really compelling uh, services that they offer uh in tune and you know just a bunch of other stuff but 
yeah, you know, I, I suffer from the squirrel syndrome, you know, I just kind of whatever's newest and flashiest catches my, my attention and I tend to chase it down a rabbit hole. So I've been very deliberate in uh, just ensuring that I, I stuck with AWS. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, I know they've been around for a while and they were sort of the leader. It's funny. I think it was 2016. I was at a Microsoft conference in Florida. Um, for those of you that know me, you know, I hate Florida, but I, I was there and um, I can't remember the name of the, the vendor or the VAR I was at, but they were doing this Microsoft presentation um, about Azure when it was kind of there was not first coming out, but it was starting to gain some traction. And I thought it was hilarious. The guy from Microsoft giving this pitch and explaining Azure and what it could do was talking about how fast it was changing and like how rapidly like the portal and even the infrastructure was changing that he had updated his, his slides and like his training materials weeks before. And he told us before we even started that it wouldn't be up to date and we would find things that did not match, you know, when doing the lab, you know, and learning how to set up, you know, these, these clusters, uh, like a like four servers like four sharepoint servers clustered you know in in one group and it, it was it was amazing that it was it was changing like that quickly the landscape was of the user portal which honestly turned me off a little bit you know like this thing's changing every 6 weeks like what chance do you stand if you stand something up in it today and then you don't really have to interact with it for a month or two or whatever and go back in there and everything's different you know how would you support that right you know as a as a provider and another thing that I thought was interesting, he, someone asked him about certifications for Azure, and I think at the time they were fairly fairly new to the market. And this guy's worked for Microsoft for 20 years as a consultant, you know, senior cloud engineer, cloud quote unquote engineer for a long time, and said that he had failed the certification test the first, <laughs> I think, one or two times he had taken them. I'm like, yeah. wow, like what, what chance does does anyone else have? You know, if the guy that's teaching material can't pass them the first or second time. So just that, just that instability, I guess, or the perceived instability on my part from that platform was always a little bit of a turnoff for me. You know, I, I, I never felt like I could recommend it, and I still really don't feel like I could recommend it to anybody. Um, I'm, I'm sure now it's probably better, and I, and I don't interact with, with those environments regularly, but just, just left a bad taste in my mouth, even from, from that experience. Yeah, there's certainly a lot, a lot of churn. Um, you know, I used to be a builder. We talked about it on the, the previous episode. So the a, a lot of my analogies either they, they tend to involve either cars or or construction. And you know, AWS is just such a such a huge toolbox. Um, and and what I've heard, and this is anecdotal evidence. I don't, you know, nobody nobody from Amazon has told me this, but someone who you know claims to have knowledge uh, said that you know when their internal uh, engineers are called solution architects and you you kind of you know have a, a, thir- a 30,000 foot view of AWS as a whole but then you specialize you know and because there's no way there's no way one person could know all 180 190 services you know they introduce 20 30 services at reinvent um, it's just it's it just has this momentum and this uh, this this update schedule or, or whatever you want to call it where they're just introducing new services they're updating existing services with new features it just it's you know it becomes daunting so you know i I like to tell people there's i don't know 180 190 services in aws and i i work with seven or eight of them on a daily basis and i've i've played with maybe another four or five 
um, just out of curiosity and everything else is just at a theoretical level, you know, stuff that I've learned in order to pass certifications. And I was going to, that was, that was my next question. That's a good segue. You know, so, so tell me how you learned about AWS, like how you learned, you know, to practice these things and to set things up. I'm assuming you did some kind of learning program or some kind of certification from them. Tell me about that. Yeah. So there's a couple of compelling answers there. Uh, AWS has a very generous free tier. So you can sign up with your own email address. I think you do have to put in a credit card, but they're very deliberate about uh, letting you know which services are free, which services will incur a cost. And, you know, so like say there's a, you, you go to launch an instance, uh, you know, a, a server uh, in their vernacular. And if it's a specific server, it'll be, it'll be free. You can run it for so many hours a month uh, for a year. Um, and, and if you make a configuration change or you add too much storage or you add, you know, whatever, um, anything that will incur a cost is very upfront when you go to launch that instance or that service, it'll say this is eligible or this is not eligible for free tier. So, um, you know, the beauty of the cloud is that it's, it's one giant sandbox and the beauty of the AWS cloud is they actually let you play with a lot of bits and pieces of it at absolutely no cost. Um, at the time when I was getting into it, I didn't really know anything. So I just went on Udemy, Udemy, I don't know what you call it, Udemy.com and just did a search for, you know, AWS and whatever the certificate name was that I was, uh, you know, interested in pursuing. Um, and I found a course, it was like 10 bucks. I bought it and unbeknownst to me at the time, it was Ryan Krunenberg from a cloud guru, which is, you know, kind of the de facto like gold standard platinum or uh, gold, gold platinum i'm getting my mixing my metaphors <laughs> gold standard platform for aws certifications uh and and what's really interesting about their platform is it's entirely service uh, serverless and it's built on top of aws so all of their videos uh live in s3 buckets all of their uh static pages live in s3 buckets um, there's Lambda on the back end, CloudFront uh, is their distribution network. So because they're leveraging all these uh, serverless services and using S3, which is, you know, very, very cheap object-based storage, I think an account at A Cloud Guru is like $30 a month and you get unfettered access to everything. You know, and they have GCP courses, they have Azure courses, but they kind of cut their teeth on AWS uh, and they have a ton of great content for all of the AWS certifications. So which one did you start with? You know, joining, you know, learning that platform, which certification was the first one for you? Yeah, I, I, the first certification I ever took and failed was the Solutions Architect Associate. So there's three right now currently, and this changes a lot. So whenever you listen to this, it may be inaccurate, but as of right now, there are three associate level certifications there are two professional level certification. I think there's five specialty certifications. So the solutions architect is kind of their, you know, mile wide, inch deep certification for people who are systems engineers, for, for lack of a better term. Um, so I signed up, watched the AWS course, uh, or I'm sorry, the A Cloud Guru course a couple of times, went and took the certification and failed miserably. Um, it was actually a lot more difficult than I was expecting, you know, as, as an associate level, I, I was kind of thinking, okay, you know, you learn the vocabulary, you learn some, some, you know, facts, the durability of an object in S3, what have you. Uh, and you just go and you take these uh, exam and next thing you know, you're good to go. And it kicked my butt. It was, it was difficult. 
which is good. At, at you know, at the time, obviously, I was like, ah, oh, man. But you know, it's encouraging. You want it to be difficult. You don't. You don't want uh, it to be something that everybody can just you know, who's willing to shell out 150 bucks can can get um, because you want to again, you want to stand out from the crowd. So that's the one I started with. Um, failed it the first time. Realized that it was not a joke of an exam, uh, and got very serious about doing the labs. You know, actually getting into the console, getting into the command line. Uh, actually doing the things they were asking about instead of just trying to memorize, uh, you know, facts and went back in and and passed it. And then from there, it just kind of took off uh, the developer associate, the systems administrator, uh, what they call it, the sysop systems operations. I don't know, operator. I don't know. Sysop is what they call it, um, is the third associate. So um, once I passed the first one, the other two kind of kind of fell in, in rapid succession. And that was that was the last So you did the months. you did the developer and the sysops, is that right? Yeah. So what I found, uh, much to my amusement or joy maybe, is that there's a ton of overlap. So even though, you know, I'm not a developer, um, there's a ton of overlap in what they what they quiz you about at that level from the developer to the associate or I'm sorry, to the administrator, to the sysops. Um, and I, so I took the systems administrator course, passed the exam, and then I took the developer and then the sysops course, just kind of back to back, and then realized, yeah, this is, there's a lot of stuff here I've already learned. Um, but there's, you know, there's a little bit that I haven't. So let me brush up on that. And uh, yeah, so I failed the systems administrator. Uh, or, excuse me, I'm getting, <laughs> they're so, you know, these names are a little, a bit unwieldy. Yeah. So the AWS uh, Solutions Architect Associate, um, I failed the first time, passed the second time. Uh, and then the Solutions Architect, or Solutions, oh my goodness, man, we're going to have to edit this. First, our first edit, <laughs> um, the Developer Associate and the SysOps Associate, I both passed on, on my first go around. But I think it was because I had studied the, uh, solutions architects so much and there was there was a good bit of overlap that it, it really helped me out wow so you right now you have all three associate level certifications for aws is that right mm -hmm. yep yeah great what is there another one on the horizon or are you are you good for now you think as far as certification <laughs> goes yeah well those were so back when I, so in 2018, I guess it was about this time last year, um, we were trying to build out our partnership with Amazon. And as, as you know, anybody with an email address and a business license can become an Amazon partner, but you're at the free tier. Um, and they do some nice things for you, but it's, it's a partnership in, a, in the very loosest uh, definition, right? But at the time, the next tier was called standard. And then beyond that, you go to the advanced. And then beyond that, you go to, I think, premier. Um, so at the time, you know, that was our goal. We need to get to the standard tier partnership. You know, you get assigned a, uh, they call it a partner development manager, a PDM. Um, and they kind of start working with you, showing you the ropes, what you need to do to specialize. AWS has all of these specializations, uh, solutions providers, uh, healthcare provider, you know, you can really, really carve out a niche for yourself in the AWS partnership ecosystem. So our goal, our, our near-term goal was standard partner and our long-term goal was advanced partner. Uh, so at the time you needed to have two associate 
certifications to qualify for standard tier among other things you had to have um you know a website you had to have a couple of referrals you had you know they make you jump through a lot of hoops but the two big things that i could control directly were the uh associate level certifications because again at the time one person could have two certifications and it counted so i could on my own i could make sure we we tick that box so that that was the reason i went in uh you know bound and determined to knock these out as quickly as possible they've since changed it they've, they've changed a lot of it uh the standard tier is now called select tier um and you have to have the the associate level certifications you know it's one per person so you know, if you need six of them, you need to have six people that are all have at least one. And you could have two people with three, um, but it only counts as two. So that, that was a change that they implemented this year. So again, kind of up in the exclusivity, um, kind of up in the bar, the barrier to entry, which, you know, is a good thing if you're willing to put in the work. But so long-winded way of answering that. So yeah, last summer I got the three associates. Um, and then this year I was you know, my goal was to get a couple of the professional certs. So um, as we as we talk right now, you and I, I have the solutions architect professional, which is one of the two professional certs, uh, developer being the other one, which I haven't taken yet. And then I have uh, two of the specialty certs. So advanced networking and security, which in the term when you're talking partnership, uh, they count towards a professional level certification. They're just I don't know, they the the professional level cert is like a i don't know a mile wide and a mile deep and the specialty certs are very narrow but even deeper you know so you really go deep on networking inside of aws uh, and the security is again just a very very deep dive on on how to secure accounts inside of the aws's cloud I think the next one, Jesse, you, you need to get that uh, Alexa skill builder so we can put this, this <laughs> podcast on Alexa. Like I, I looked at it the other day and it, it looks pretty daunting in order to do that. So I might have to dig in a little bit and try to figure that out. Yeah, there's and it's and that one's a brand. I think that's the most recent one. They have big data. They have machine learning. Um, they're really uh, branching out and specializing. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I don't know if those are on my horizon at the moment. Got a lot of other things on my plate, but uh, my goal, you know, just kind of pie in the sky goal is to have them all uh, eventually. I wonder if anybody has them all. I'm sure people do. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So one of the cool things about being certified, especially if you're on the uh, the uh, what do they call conference circuit. So I went to the um, AWS Partner Summit in Atlanta. And they have a, they call it the certification lounge. So you get in line, you give them your name, you prove that you have a certification. They give you a special sticker to go on your lanyard. Um, and they let you into this, well, in Atlanta, it's the only one I've ever been to, so your mileage may vary. But in Atlanta, they have this like fenced off area uh, on the conference floor. And it's kind of like right in the middle and you go in and there's free drinks and food and coffee and there's, you know, couches and stuff. and um, you go in and they give you a coin and you go and you, you turn the coin in and they, they ask you, uh, you know, what certs do you have? And they'll give you t-shirts and water bottles and notebooks, all kind of good stuff, you know, depending on, on how far you've gone down the certification path. Uh, but it, you know, really makes you feel like a rock star. You know, there's all these, uh, people, you know, forced to 
stand and eat their their cold sandwich and you know you're in the certification lounge with your feet up <laughs> drinking some coffee and having a cookie you're you're in the vip area at the nightclub yeah that, that's yeah. what i'm hearing right <laughs> yeah and you gotta that, uh, that moet you know to get in there yeah, yeah you got I mean, a bottle service buying the bottle <laughs> with the with the certifications yeah and there's and so i'm curious what it's like in at reinvent i'm going to reinvent this year in vegas which is the big aws conference it takes up like six or seven hotels on the strip um so yeah i'll be there and there's a certification lounge so i imagine it's going to be what i experienced but maybe even you know more ramped up when is that conference I think it's December 1st through the 5th or December 1st through the 6th, uh, something like that. It's, it's the first full week in December. It's, it's a huge conference. Like I said, you look at the, uh, if you go to their website and you just look at the, the event map, it's like the Bellagio, the Aria, the MGM, it's, uh, you know, they, you have to, they have shuttle services running from all the casinos. Uh, so you can go from one breakout session to another. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a week long event in Vegas in the, the first week of December. That's pretty cool. Um, so tell me more about, you know, how you're utilizing this AWS platform. You know, what type of, you know, client is a candidate, you know, for getting on the cloud or what type of business are you guys leveraging, you know, against this AWS infrastructure? Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so so right off the bat, if, if somebody is in a terminal server environment, they're a candidate. Uh, you know, there's, obviously there's exceptions to the rule. We haven't found any to that rule. Um, but yeah, if somebody is, is using terminal services, they're, they're a great candidate for AWS. Um, depending, you know, beyond that, if somebody isn't, it, it, the conversation becomes a little more difficult. You know, if the, is there a line of business application, you know, Jet-based, you know, they have a Jet-based database, uh, which I'm sure you're aware of, does not play well with IPsec VPNs or even across a WAN, you know, so. Yeah. Um, yeah, if, uh, if, if their line of business application is SaaS or... Um, you know, they're just doing like file, file store, um, you know, the identity management, file storage, you know, stuff like that. Um, they're a good candidate. Um, but really at this point, it's just kind of a, you know, we're still, you know, assessing each client on, you know, sort of on their own merit. We're starting to build out our standard operating procedures, um, and, you know, and to sort of increase our efficiency, you know, so we can kind of have a, Okay, you're you're you fit this model. We know you work. We don't have to do a deep dive, but you know we're still very immature in this in this arena. So kind of erring on the side of caution. You know we don't want to don't want to give a bad experience to any client ever. So um, you know, just kind of taking these assessments one one at a time, doing a lot of work with the vendors. You know we um, and it's amazing. You know how how many of these software vendors. Uh, just don't even know. I've never even been asked the question yet. You know, does this run in, in the cloud? You know, if we build out a site-to-site -site VPN and put this in the cloud, will it work? Um, I, I don't know. Maybe in theory, you know, you get you get that a lot. Uh, it should. Um, so you know, then you have to test. Which I know I'm switching gears here a lot is one of the great things about being an AWS partner because you can submit for proof of concept funding. You know, if you have a client that says, "Hey, I want to be in the cloud." Uh, and and you, your response to them is well, we need to find out if if what you do works in the cloud. You can then go to AWS and say, hey, I got this client. Um, they want to be in the cloud. We think they're a good candidate, but you know we need to test. They can oftentimes, well, I say often, they are they are 
scenarios in which they are willing to to give you credits in their cloud. So, you know, a couple hundred bucks, a couple thousand bucks, um, I think, you know, and as you increase your partnership status, I think that number goes up quite a bit. Um, so you can actually build out a client, a client's infrastructure and test it uh, without any expense incurred. You know, you can other than time, obviously. How is how is the sales process now, or maybe the qualification, you know, of a client in regards to you know the upfront spend, you know, of of buying a server, Microsoft licensing, you know, VMware licensing, or whatever it is, you know, for say a small office on site, you know, versus you know the monthly cost or on infinite ongoing monthly cost of hosting the server with AWS and any bandwidth fees connections, things like that. What, what kind of cost difference are you seeing? Because the last time I did the math on this, which was a few years ago, it was still more cost effective to buy a server every five years, you know, and do all the licensing than putting things in the cloud. Is it still that way or has that shifted at this point? In my humble experience, it's cost is usually not a compelling reason to, to switch to the cloud. There, you can, you know, it, it there are ways to save money um, over traditional infrastructure, um, and we can get into that in a second. But really, what you're buying is you're mitigating risk. You know, you're paying money to move that risk to someone else. So everything, you know, basically from the networking layer down is AWS's responsibility, uh, and it's 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 actually incredible um, when you think about what is happening, what is taking place behind the scenes that's just abstracted away from you. So when you're when you're in the console and the AWS console and you're looking at an EC2 instance, there's a there's a tab for health checks. And if your EC2 instance ever fails a health check, you can start or you can restart that instance. I'm not talking about restarting at the OS level, but restarting the actual EC2 instance. And it'll go down and when it comes up, it comes up on brand new hardware. Well, again, not brand new hardware, but new to new to that that operating system, that uh, virtual machine or AMI is what they're called, Amazon machine images. So, you know, you just don't ever have to worry about hard drives failing. You don't have to worry about network uh, cards failing. You don't have to worry about, you know, motherboard capacitors bursting or, you know, anything you can think of at a hardware level, that risk is just totally gone. Um, so, and there's, there's scalability, there's flexibility, right? Um, in a traditional environment, I'm sure you're well aware, you know, you have to, you have to size accordingly. And, you know, if the, a typical hardware refresh is every, you know, let's be honest, uh, they say every three to five years, but it's typically five to six years, you know, that you're, you're talking someone into replacing their server for $20,000, $30,000. $30, you know, you have to guess how big are you going to be in six years? How much computing power are you going to need? How much storage are you going to need in six years? Um, and if you get that equation wrong, then you know there's just there's no recourse other than to spend more money. Um, where when you're in the cloud, you have that that flexibility. You can scale up and you can scale down. You know if if uh, you peel off a you know a certain segment of your business and and it gets sold and run by another entity and whatever reason you find your computing requirements cut in half, then you downsize and you pay less. Um, and so there's there's you know availability, mit the mitigation of risk. Scalability, these are really what you want to hang your hat on when you're trying to uh, convince people of the merits of the cloud. Now, having said that, there are ways of, of cost savings, you know, as your maturity level increases. Uh, when you're in the cloud, you pay for what you use. So 
I'll give you an example. We have a client that uh, is running four terminal servers and they don't need four terminal servers. Not all the time, only during peak load do they need four terminal servers. Uh, so you can do something called an auto scaling group that you build out in AWS and you give it a metric. So ours are CPU based. So as CPU usage climbs and it crosses over a certain threshold, it'll spin up an additional terminal server. So most of the time they're running on one or two terminal servers. Uh, so when you, when you do things like that, uh, then the cost savings are there as well. So you're looking at, you know, three or four or five really compelling reasons uh, to run in the cloud. But in my experience, at least at this juncture, and it's going to change, right? It's going, it's going to continue to get cheaper um, to run in the cloud. But right now, cost is usually fourth or fifth on my list uh, when it comes to telling people, you know, why they should migrate to the cloud. That's a good example. I could see how that'd be really beneficial, like you said, of of saving that that cost of not building out a physical, you know, server cluster to run at thirty percent capacity, you know, only to be available for the one percent of the time it dips up, like you're suggesting, under heavy loads or five percent of the time, and right. having that extra cost. So that that scalability, you know, makes sense if if the ecosystem is set to to scale, you know, based on you know if then statements or whatever parameter you know, AWS offers. That's, that's pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just gonna, I was just gonna say, you know, in your experience in dealing with this, you know, most MSPs are, you know, a, a lot of times supporting small business offices. That's kind of the bread and butter of the majority of MSPs I've seen in the market, you know, under 30 people is probably the average. I would say, I don't have any metrics to back that up other than my own experience, but Usually that's the case. Um, so how do you think like a small, let's say accounting firm or something like that, or, or any client that you may have dealt with that, you know, is technically savvy, maybe an operations person or COO has a technology background, but is not an engineer. You know, how do you have that conversation with them about the cloud and they understand AWS, at least in a broad sense, the way you described it as, if I'm understanding correctly, kind of hands off with the, with the hardware being, you know, kind of handled by Amazon. How do you, how do you continue to remain relevant to that client if you were to propose moving them to AWS? And once it's there, you know, what is the MSP's role in in that at that point? Yeah, and, yeah, and I get that question a lot. Like, okay, so you don't have to be responsible for our hardware anymore. Is this going to lower our cost? You know, do we? You know, your time invested is 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 arguably less. But you know, when you think about it. You have a client and say you have a client for five years. How often are you rolling trucks to deal with hardware issues? You know, it's patching, it's monitoring, it's updating. It's, you know, there's still so much more, um, so much more value that you, that a, a good MSP brings uh, beyond just, you know, maintaining servers at the hardware level. So there's still a very compelling case to be made for why a company needs, you know, an MSP, an IT department uh, to, to can keep them at peak efficiency. Is there anything that, you know, I'm sure that question comes up a lot, just like you said, is there, is there anything that else you could point to maybe to, to reassure someone or kind of, you know, really set that in, you know, of, of what else is needed or what else goes into supporting something, even though it is in the cloud? Yeah, I'm, you know, really, uh, I mean, it sounds kind of simple, but I, I tell people it's just your server's living somewhere else. You know, it, it lives, it used to live in your closet. Now it lives in the cloud, but 
but everything on top of that remains the same. It's your data, it's your software. Uh, if something goes wrong, AWS is not gonna help you. Um, and I say that, I mean, I don't, I don't say that in a negative way, um, but AWS has no access to, to, to your, they call them EC2, Elastic Compute Cloud, uh, EC2 instances. Basically an EC2 instance is synonymous with a server. Um, you can have 10 EC2 instances, you have 10 servers, you know, so on and so forth. Um, they don't, the way, you know, because for compliance reasons and, and AWS takes compliance very seriously, their cloud is built in such a way they, they physically don't have access. You know, you can't reach out to an AWS engineer and say, please log into my EC2 instance and, and find out why, you know, my VPN is down. They, they just can't do it. They, they literally don't have the ability to do that. So the hardware is their responsibility. Everything else, you need an IT professional uh, to take that load off your shoulders, unless you know you're a really techy person and you just enjoy it. But I mean, I'm sure as you're aware, uh, um, you know, most people that are in business, their time is better spent, you know, whatever focusing on whatever their business is based around. So if you're a dentist, if you're an architect, you don't want to be upgrading, uh, you know, AutoCAD. You want to be designing homes or you know hospitals or whatever it is that you do whatever it is that keeps the lights on you know that's what you want to focus on yeah that's a good point that's a good point yeah i i just i just that just came across my mind and i'm sure you got that question a lot so i i thought i'd bring it up for for everyone that was may have been thinking the same thing so yeah thanks for thanks for sharing that absolutely what other what other maybe something negative that you've seen you know by having something in aws what type of problems have you seen or, you know, tell us a horror story if you have one of something that's happened. Uh, latency, 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 you know, to for to to do a traditional sense. If you're, you know, say you have a, you know, you have a, an office with 20 people and, you know, you want to serve up files on a file server and, you know, you maybe have one or two line of business applications in, installed on that server. Uh, latency and this is a lesson that I learned, I had to learn the hard way, you know, late latency can really, even though you think, okay, we're going from sub millisecond latency to 20 millisecond latency with certain databases, uh, certain database engines that, that becomes a nightmare, you know, whereas, you know, to open a, to run a query took, you know, a second before now it takes 50 seconds or 90 seconds. Uh, so you really have to, to, to test, you can't just lift and shift, you know, as the term you, I mean, you can, but you, you really have to go a long way towards making sure the performance is there because an IPsec VPN, um, I mean, we have clients that are on gigabit fiber um, and some of their applications we have to keep local because the, the latency is just too much. You know, it's a legacy application. Uh, it's running an old, like I said, jet-based, uh, jet engine-based database, and it just, it can't run even on, across gigabit uh, fiber. The, the latency is just too, I mean, and when I say it can't run, it can run, but you know, you're, like I said, you're taking, you're waiting 30, 60 seconds to run a query. Um, and you know, the usability of that is just frustrates everybody. So that's one latency is, is a big issue. Um, two, you really have to secure the console, you know, because you know, you, you rack and stack a Dell or an HP server. And, you know, there's a lot that, you know, your help desk guys can do to, <laughs> to screw that up, but they're not going to accidentally buy 10 more servers. Um, you know, if you have one of your guys, if they have access to the console, 
they can they can run up a huge bill in hours. You know, there's some servers on AWS that that cost you know five ten thousand dollars a month to run. You know, they come with terabytes of RAM and uh, you know half a dozen or more uh, NVMe two terabyte NVMe drives. Uh, so you know, you spin it up for an hour or two, you're hundreds of dollars in the hole. Um, I give you an example. We we keep our um, our console locked down very tight. But you know, leave it to an engineer to find find a loophole, to find a weakness. Um, we had a client that had a very very large data volume. It was like a three terabyte data volume, and we were backing it up, but we were backing it up very deliberately. We were using S3 because it was just files. Um, an engineer came across it and said, "Uh oh, snapshots aren't turned on on this drive. So let me go into the console and turn on these snapshots. I'll be a hero. I'll save the day." Um, and by the time all of our budget alarms started ringing, we were $1,000 in the hole because, you know, snapshots are expensive. Um, so you really Does Amazon to... work with you on anything like yes. that when that happens or? Yes. In our particular case, they did, you know, but, you know, your mileage may vary. I don't think they have to. <laughs> um, but I was uh, very deliberate in my communication with them, very hat in hand, uh, you know, like, hey, guys, do me a solid. Obviously, this is not your fault. Uh, this is something we screwed up, blah, blah, blah. Um, but yeah, you know, one of their leadership philosophies is customer obsession. And that obviously extends to their partners. So yeah, in that case, we were, we were made whole. Um, and we patched that deficiency in our, our uh, security posture, I guess you could say. So in my brief interaction with AWS, and it's been some time now, I think it was called I am then where you set permissions mm -hmm. and, you know, for different people and different service levels. Is that what you're using now? Is that still a thing? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I am. It's one of the oldest services uh, in AWS, I think, along with S3, which is their their object based storage service. I think it's been around since like 08 or 09. But it's really mature. Um, you know, they have these policies, these IAM policies, and it's JSON. And you can really, you know, to become a policy ninja, and I use that term uh, very deliberately, there were some great 400 level uh, reinvent breakout sessions um, called, you know, how to be a policy ninja. And you can set it so that, you know, if, if Dave is in, you know, the dev team, he can only spin up instances of a certain size on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Um, you know, I mean, you can really drill down and control it, but you know, it's like everything AWS, they give you some really, really compelling tools, but it's up to you to build something with it. So, you know, you, I would say that becoming an IAM policy ninja is almost table stakes for any company wanting to, to go into the AWS cloud. Do you do you have any cautionary tales or any any experience or guidance you could offer when it comes to setting that up, say for a, a six person MSP with you know two <laughs> help desk guys? Any any yeah, advice? Don't, don't assume that your policy works. Test it. You have to test it. I mean that kind of goes without saying, but um, you know they when you start doing logic based policies, uh, it can really become complex more so than you can kind of keep in a mental model. So, you know, log in as the user and test or log in as a user with similar uh, um, rights and test. Just test everything. And because it's so easy, right, it's so quick. Um, you know, you spin it up, you test it. If it doesn't work, you make a change, you test it. Um, that's that's really the, the golden rule. Don't assume that your policies are doing what you want them to, because invariably 
you know, when you get an emergency call or, you know, an, uh, a level one ticket at three in the morning on a Saturday, and when your help desk guys goes to log in and reboot an EC2 instance, and lo and behold, they don't have the the, the rights to do so, you know, now you, you now you have another layer involved um, to keep your SLAs met. You know, you have to rally the troops on two levels, so to speak. Is there a way to document those, you know, that, that, that configuration or is something you just have to know or trust? There's, there's, um, and I don't have a lot of experience with this, but there's policy builders out there. There's templates out there. Um, and, and even inside the AWS console, um, they have a ton of pre-built policies. So, um, like there's a, there's a policy that I've found that I haven't had to tweak at all. And it's, uh, it's just labeled finance. So, you know, if HR or not HR, uh, AR, you know, your finance department needs to get in and look at billing so that they can, you know, then turn around and bill the customers. Um, you just assign them to this finance group. And, and it, it, at least in our case, it's, it's a perfect fit. You know, it's not bespoke in any way. Um, it was just, I found it, I went through the policy, it did what we wanted it to do. Um, I applied it to uh, several individuals at the company and that was months ago, everything is, is fine. Um, and there's literally hundreds of, of those those pre-built policies. Um, so I would get familiar with them, make sure you're not reinventing the wheel. And, uh, and then also use them as a starting point, right? If a policy does 90% of what you want, I would never, ever, ever write a policy from scratch just because there's so many out there. There's bound to be a policy that is going to do at least a large part of what you want already. And you just go in and, you know, and customize it to your unique business needs. Kind of going back to what we're talking about before with some of the, the issues that you experienced, you mentioned latency, which is probably, I would have to guess, probably the number one, you know, problem when it comes to this. But what mm -hmm. do you, let's say you, you talk Amazon AWS up, you get them to buy in, you move all their infrastructure to the cloud, everything goes well for a week or two or a day or two, however long it is. How do you, what do you say to the client when you have kind of that, oh shit moment when you realize, you know, this latency may be a deal breaker or what are, what are your, th what's happening in your mind when that's, when that's going on? And what do you tell the client, you know, when, when they experience something like that after you promise this, this next generation technology to be what their business needs? Yeah, great question. Um, luckily, I haven't found myself in that situation. Um, you know, we're, we are very cautious at this point. Um, like I said, we're still building out our playbooks, our runbooks. Um, and so I don't ever assume at this point that something will just work. I don't promise the moon um, at this stage. They say, you know, let's, we, you know, based on historical or based on, you know, other, other clients that we've done similar things with, we think that this is a good fit. Um, but, you know, you don't yank the cord out of the, out of the, <laughs> you know, the power edge until you're really, really sure that things are right. And you always, you know, just like anything in IT, you have a backout plan, right? What's our fallback? Um, and let's build this, let's test it. We think it works, let's stress test it. Okay, we still think it works. Um, but, you know, we just move slowly at this point. It's just iterative almost. Um, and just be deliberate in your message. You know, expectations are, are what are, are basically the name of the game. Um, and if you are lifting and shifting, you know, you're bound to run into things that, that don't work the way you think they're going to. And, uh, and you just have to be upfront and deliberate in your messaging. Um, but what I find is most people, once they 
have a conversation about the cloud. They're, they're intrigued enough to at least try it out. Um, you know, just, just the idea of not having to, to fork over so much capital outlay, you know, every three to five years is, is enough to give anybody, uh, the motivation to say, well, yeah, let's, let's see how this works. Let's, let's try it. Um, and again, you know, if you, let's say you move something to the cloud and it doesn't work, and you have to move it back, you shut it down. You know, you're not committed to anything. I mean, obviously, you know, it's time loss, labor, um, you know, and depending on how your relationship is with the client, they may be a little upset. But, you know, if you spin up a giant uh, M5 2XL instance and you run it for a week and you realize, oh, you know, shit, this isn't going to work, you shut it down. You know, you're not committed to a month or a year or anything um, at that point. So, again, the flexibility to test. To, to experiment, to try things uh, is one of the very compelling reasons to, to give the cloud a chance. How long are you, are you testing? Are you, are you in beta, so to speak, when you're, you're trying this out with a client? Or what, what is the expectation? You know, do you say, hey, we're going to test it out and see how it works? Or do you get a commitment up front? Or what are, what are those conversations like? Yeah, I mean, it's a commitment, right? We're going to build this out. And we're test and if it works then you know this is this is what it's going to be moving forward um and and again the cloud is it's all about speed you know speed to market speed to test and you 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 know right away in most cases you know right away i have yet to see in a year doing this i've yet to see you know two or three weeks go by and okay yeah everything's great and then on that fourth week we're like uh oh you know whatever something went wrong and now this is this is a total wash we need to back out completely um, in the few cases I've seen it not work, it's not worked immediately. So it's the kind of thing where you're, you're, you're building out a solution for the client. You say, Hey, just in case as a backup, we're going to leave the old trusty power edge in the closet. We're going to run this. And after three weeks, we're going to meet again and say, Hey, we both agree this is working well. And then we're going to look to, um, you know, I guess, you know, recycle the Dell server or retire it whatever the case may be, or do you guys still hold on to it, you know, as configured just in case? Uh, yeah, we don't really hang on to things. You know, once we know, once we have the data and we know the data is backed up and it's, it's performing as expected, um, you know, at that point, the conversation gets much easier. Um, the, one of the gentlemen that I, heard speak in 2017 which really you know kind of started me on this cloud journey he's he would make a ritual out of it you know they would they would migrate a client to the cloud um and they'd run for a week or two and then at, at a predetermined uh you know amount of time had passed and everything was good they would go back on site and with the business owner or their their point of contact they would literally go into the server room and you know and power down the server kind of almost a, a ceremony if you will you know yank the power cord out of the back and say okay well you don't need this anymore. Um, we, we don't do anything that theatrical, but we, you know, we're, we don't just like, you know, we're not like bearish. We don't, okay, let's, you know, let's go get the, the server and recycle it immediately and, you know, take the, uh, the hard drives out and put them through the drill press. Um, if they're not taking up too much room, we'll tend to let them sit there for a month or two. Um, but again, you know, it's really the data, right? As long as you have the data, you can do anything. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we make sure that our backups are, you know, top of mind. You know, the first thing we get the data in the cloud and we start backing it up immediately. 
uh, and then we start configuring and testing and tuning, you know, only after the data is secure. Um, and then of course, you know, obviously we have a copy locally, uh, until, you know, we reach that, that predetermined time period where they go, okay, this is, this is going to work. If you're happy, we're happy. Um, and you know, this is the new reality. Yeah. So that's, that's interesting. What, what are you doing as far as billing goes? Like once you get someone on there, how do you guys handle that at the MSP level? Are they, are you allowing them to be billed directly through Amazon? Are you guys taking that service and, you know, putting a premium on it as far as management or is it done under the all you can eat MSP agreement? You know, how are you guys doing that? We recently, when I say recently, in the last three or four months, um, earned our solutions provider designation. Um, and so we basically get a 10% discount on what the customer's paying for. So we have, we have 10% margins built in. Um, so we, it was a pass through, and, but now that we've ticked this uh, box or ticked enough boxes to qualify as a solutions provider, um, you know, we have a 10% margin. So I guess you're billing them you're, you're, you're able to, to bill them, you know, through your, your monthly agreement or is it a separate billing charge? Yeah, it's, it's through the monthly agreement. Um, and you know, if basically nothing changes, right. If, and, and we have that conversation up front, you know, if we, we look at the cloud watch metrics, uh, you know, after a month and it looks like, you know what, um, we might've over provisioned you a little bit, or we might've under provisioned you a little bit, um, you know, we'll address that then, but the price won't change without a conversation and an agreement. Um, but yeah, we, we roll it into the monthly agreement, uh, and, and then at that point, you know, it's on us to, to find the cost savings and pass that on to the customer. And, uh, but yeah, whatever, whatever they're paying, you know, it's, it's costing us 10% less. So that, that is what yeah. we take off of it. The way we're structured right now is it's all, excuse me, um, you know, we have a, a, an organization and all of our clients are their own account um, under that organization. So accounts are a really, really strong way of doing permission boundaries. Um, so it's not like we have just one, one account and, you know, we have people segregated by subnets or, you know, any, any kind of nightmare like that. Each client is their own account. And then we just are very deliberate with our tagging. And then we run billing reports against the tagging. That's great. I think that I, I, I didn't know that there was a discount, but I guess it makes sense, you know, for, for partners at that level. So that's some motivation to get to that level. So you can, you know, leverage some margin, you know, for this hosted service. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's compelling for us because, you know, you sell somebody a Dell server, obviously there's margins on that, but you know, they're, they're not the greatest. Um, and you know, this is a, just a permanent built in 10% a month that, um, you know, we can, it gives us some wiggle room, you know, we can pass it all onto the client, we can pass some onto the client, we can keep the entire 10%. Um, but the client, you know, they go on, you know, to the AWS total cost of ownership calculator, or the simple monthly calculator, and whatever they're running, if they plug it in, that's what they're paying, you know, we don't, we don't upcharge on top of that. Yeah, so just thinking about this, I keep thinking of all these questions, I guess, as we, the more we talk, but what about uh, support? How much time are you spending supporting an environment in AWS? You know, once you get them there and once it's stabilized, is it something that you have to constantly tinker with or uh, is there some like dashboard that you use to monitor it? 
or do you have your knock, you know, person monitoring it? And, yes. and, and is there any tinkering to be done or is it a set it and forget it type thing once it's stabilized? It's pretty set it and forget it. I mean, you know, that's probably famous last word, right? But, um, you know, so we do have a lot of monitoring, a lot of monitoring out of the box. You know, CloudWatch metrics are free. Uh, I'm always nervous that I'm giving bad information. CloudWatch monitoring is free. And if you want to do um, basically... So and and so CloudWatch is it, it monitors API calls, it monitors CPU health, network health. You know, it just monitors everything. And there's a lot of different ways that you can then ingest that data and parse it. Um, and I think the interval is five minutes, but if you're willing to pay a little bit every month, you can get the interval down to one minute. So if a server goes offline, you know, you can have an alert in one minute. Um, but really, uh, everything in in the cloud is redundant. Um, you know, that's we can we can do domain controllers in the cloud for i don't know 30 or 40 bucks a month you know if that's all it's doing is uh just you know authentication uh and a little bit of gpo then you know we can build out their main dc and then have a, a secondary dc in a different availability zone pretty much running on like one level up from like a free tier instance so you have that high availability built in um when you build out an ipsec vpn to um to a to a security appliance a local security appliance by default it's highly available you know there's two tunnels two routes everything is redundant um so even if one route goes down you're still you know you're not having to go in and build out a new tunnel um you can at your leisure you can you can troubleshoot why the first tunnel went down but in in reality i've never seen one go down i mean I, again we've been, you know less than a year but it's it's pretty rock solid. I mean, I've never seen an EC2 instance fail a health check unless I was, you know, playing around in a test environment and deliberately trying to screw something up. Um, they're they're very solid, very stable. Um, you, you get it where you want it, uh, and and then you just monitor. I mean, it's almost in that regard, it's almost a one to one uh, comparison to on prem hardware. So the servers that you're spinning up there, they're Windows servers, is that right? Yeah, I don't think we have a single workload on a, a Linux server. It's all all Windows. Do you, with this environment in the cloud, is it necessary? I guess with this CloudWatch tool, which I'm not familiar with, is it is it necessary to still run, you know, the the MSP traditional, you know, RMM tool, you know, on the server for updates, patches, you know, reboots? Is all that stuff still required, or does Amazon handle maintenance in that uh, regard, or how does that work? It's required like strictly required no i well again right it all depends on how your your business is is structured um but you know all of our guys they're very familiar with with the tool you know the, the current technology stack that we use to monitor and alert and so it's easy right it's easy to just throw an agent on on an ec2 instance um and just continue to do things the way you've always done it so in that regard yeah we treat a, a windows server in the cloud exactly like we do we run through the same sop process we install the same tools on it um and treat it exactly like we do on-prem hardware and and it is i mean i guess in that way it is necessary because there are some tools built into aws that will alert at the os level but really their visibility is much more fine-grained at the hardware level and networking level that makes sense. You know, for some reason, you think, you know, putting a server in the cloud, it's, 
you know, you almost think about that set it and forget it type thing, but it makes sense that you still have to monitor it and manage it and stuff. So maybe that's part of the conversation you have with the client, you know, in that, that initial meeting is that although the, the hardware is not in your closet, there's still maintenance and work to be done, even if it exists on the cloud. Or do you, do you shy away from that and just kind of do it in the background? Like, no, um, because I think it's a conversation with having up front. And in, in AWS parlance, they call it uh, the shared responsibility model. They're basically responsible for the hardware, responsible for some of the network connections, um, and then the client, be it us or you know somebody that we're, we're working on behalf of, our responsibility is some of the networking and then everything above that. So you know layers two through seven is our responsibility. Um, and so we have to have that conversation up front because you know a savvy operator will say, well, you know we're moving this piece to the cloud. Why do I? Why is are my you know monthly rates staying the same? And say, well, because because nothing's changed. I mean, we're we're still having a reboot. We're still having a patch. We're still having a monitor for you know viruses. You know, in that regard, it is one to one um, on prem versus cloud. At the OS level, nothing changes. Interesting. So, what else? What have we not covered, and that, no. that you can think of? You know, at a, at a at a polite conversation level, <laughs> I'll say, yeah, uh, yeah, yes, yeah, without the deep I, dive. AWS is great, man. Um, you know, I've we've had to engage some solutions architects. You know, we have uh, regular calls with salespeople, with our partner delivery man, our partner development manager, um, and you know, you kind of hear about the, you know, the the 10 leadership principles and how, you know, they just hire the best and they, they, you know, everybody's a high executing, uh, intelligent, productive person. And, and in my experience, that's been absolutely the case. You know, you're just, you, you want to, you, you know, you want your partners to be, uh, in many ways running ahead of you. Right. Um, and mm -hmm. I, I'm sure you've had conversations with your Dell rep or your HP rep and anything. my God, you know, I, I, I don't, did they hire this guy from, you know, I don't know. I don't want to be, but you know, is this guy, <laughs> is this guy fresh out of high school? Find him down at the local gas station. Like, um, some of the, some of the vendors we work with, you know, their, their support staff leaves a lot to be desired. Their sales staff leaves a lot to be desired. Their customer service leaves a lot to be desired. Um, and so far that has not been my experience with AWS. How's their responsiveness been, you know, as far as, you know, sales inquiries or support inquiries go, you know, in my experience, if we had problems with Dell or with HP, you know, you're assigned a rep, which is some sales guy somewhere that covers a territory of like 12 states. And, you know, it's, it's, it's not clear if they really care about you or your business, at least in my experience. How, how is that experience with AWS versus a traditional hardware provider? Right. Well, we've never had to engage AWS support. We pay for business level support. Um, and I think we have like a four hour SLA, but we've never had to engage them at that level. Um, usually, you know, it's some sort of inquiry or, hey, um, you know, so-and-so, I need to talk to one of your essays because, you know, we're trying to do something kind of funky with Storage Gateway and Lambda. We just want to make sure that we're not barking up the wrong tree or we're not missing anything. So it's, it's kind of like architecting or, um, you know, solution vetting. Is, is how we've engaged. And, you know, at that point, everybody there is busy. 
So, you know, you just have to be, you can't get your questions answered <laughs> within a couple of hours. You know, you, I'll reach out to our partner development manager and say, Hey, I have a question. And she'll say, okay, I'll get something on the books with the appropriate uh, solution architect. Uh, I think we touched on this earlier, but to be a solutions architect inside of AWS, you have to specialize, at least that's the way it's been uh, shared with me. So, you know, if you have a question about, um, you know, load balancing, there's multiple essays that all specialize in load balancing and she'll, she'll try to rein in one, get them on the schedule, set up a call. Um, and, and the few times we've done that, it's been, it's been great. Um, and that's, and that's, I think that's kind of par for the course, you know, you go through your PDM for as much as you can and let them, uh, kind of control the dialogue on their end. Um, but I will say just like with anything, you know, when we were free tier, we didn't even have a, a PDM. When we first moved into select tier, we had a PDM who she was great, but the responsiveness wasn't there. Um, and I, I found out after the fact that at that tier, the PDMs have, and again, this is anecdotal, uh, third party information. The PDMs have thousands of clients. Um, and then as you move into like advanced tier, you work with a PDM that has like 20 or 30 clients. So the noise gets cut down significantly. Um, and I guess because we're kind of on the cusp of advanced tier, we, we move from one PDM to another and she is responsive. Like you wouldn't believe, um, and very sharp, very, very rarely does she say, you know what? I need to get back to you. I don't know the answer to that. Um, I've asked some pretty esoteric questions and she always has an answer and she may say, you know what? Let me, let me get a better answer from, you know, someone who's in that department or somebody who specializes in that. But it's my understanding that, you know, blah, and pretty much with a perfect track record, she is at least steering us in the right direction or getting us in front of the right people. Uh, so it's been, it's been very rewarding in that regard. Well, that's awesome. That, I think that's, that's comforting. I think like you're saying is, you know, getting at least some level of a response or an answer, not just having a quote unquote account manager that's not technical or doesn't fully understand the infrastructure, just trying to direct you to different people. I think that's, that's normally the kind of play, you know, with those account managers at that level, you know, those, those size companies like Amazon or Dell. Yeah. So I can imagine that's refreshing, you know, having that experience versus the more traditional one. It is, it is, you know, you, you, you get that sense that somebody has your back, which is, you know, it's very comforting, especially when you're kind of going into a new area, you know, a new uh, foray into something that you're unexperienced with or inexperienced with to know that you can pick up the phone or send an email. And, uh, and, and the person that receives that email is going to do everything they can to get you in front of the right people to solve the problem, to make the customer happy, make you happy. Um, you know, it's that you feel like you have that parachute <laughs> strapped to your back when you're doing stuff that you're, you know, maybe a little bit out of your comfort zone doing. Yeah. For sure. Well, great. I think we're about at our time limit, Jesse. How long has it been? An hour? Close? Uh, yeah, I think Something so. Like I think that. we're right at an hour. I hope I wasn't too uh, long-winded. No, not at all. It was, it was very informative. I learned a lot myself, so uh, it was a good conversation uh, to be had for sure. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. So, uh, yeah, we'll do this again, hopefully, soon. Yeah, soon. Maybe this week, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, time willing, right? <laughs> Yeah, that's that's the rub. All right, cool. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you soon. Thank you, Nick.
thank you for tuning in to the MSP 101 podcast. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Drop us a line at yo at msp101.com, at getmsp101 on Twitter, and check out the show notes and other information at msp101.com. Thank you.